I'm here to speak and, and bring up the point of idolatry. Now, when I say idolatry and, and the doctrine or the issue of idolatry, it may not be something you struggle with. You don't feel like you need to really deal with that or, or, or handle it. You, you know, right after don't commit murder, check, I got that. I'm good. Don't kill people. Comes, don't worship other gods. Check. I got it. I'm good. Don't worship other gods. But when I was praying about how I want us to look at idolatry, I thought of a assignment I got in English 101 in college. Now for any of you that have ever read anything that I've ever written, whether it text or email or had a five-minute conversation with me, it may have you in a tailspin right now that I actually took and passed a college-level English course. But it happened. And in that course, I was given an assignment to look in the mirror for five minutes and write down about what I saw. I'm not a really deep guy. I'm not emotionally deep. This wasn't something that I was looking forward to seeing. It wasn't something that I was looking forward to doing and thinking that I was going to come away with anything profound. And for all the guys that I hang out with here at the church, you can save the jokes about how hard it must have been to look at this mug for five minutes. I don't want to hear it. You can, you can just, just drop it. But I did, I did the assignment. And I stared for five minutes, and I was surprised that I actually noticed some things that I hadn't noticed before. And that's what I want us to do with idolatry. I want us to collectively take what we individually and collectively know, look at it, stare at it, maybe get uncomfortable about it, and say, is there something we didn't realize before? Is there something there that that I didn't notice? Is there something there that I need to handle? And I want us to go through that that together. We're going to be in, uh, we're going to be a little bit all over the place. All of the uh, scripture references are in your notes if you need them. Um, and the note sheet that's in your bulletin, they're also all going to be on the screen. Our main text is Colossians 3, 1 through 5. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. But put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. I want to look at what is idolatry. We're going to get deeper into it and we're going to take that long look. But first, let's define what idolatry is. And a little bit of it was there at the end of Colossians, but we also have Exodus 23 through 5. You can define an idol as anything that emphasizes something before God. And Exodus 23 through 5. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not, make, you shall not bow down to them 
or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. Emphasize anything. I said to you, anything that you put before the one true God. That's the definition of idolatry. Anything. Now, one of you might come to me and say, but Ryan, couldn't watching football become an an idol to you? And I would say to that person, my dear sweet wife, why, yes, it could. (laughs) But before you worry about me and judge me, shouldn't you worry about yourself? And besides, I'm trying to, to slay the sinful desire, the the pagan ritual, if you will, of picking up all your clothes off the bedroom floor. And once I fix that, I'll deal with idolatry of watching football. Football can become an idol. Being obsessed about your house being clean can become an idol. There's a whole array of anything in your life that can become an idol. I want you to open your minds to that. Open your hearts. Anything, anything can become an idol to you. The only qualification has to be, are you putting it before the will of God? Now before we get into those things, before we stare at ourselves and before we say, what are my idols? I want us to try to figure out what What does God think about idolatry? Deuteronomy 32.21 They have made me jealous with what is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. God is jealous for you. Now, in our society, we define jealousy as something that's negative. We say, if someone's jealous of what I have, they want what I have because they don't have it. That they're insecure in who they are. That if in a romantic relationship the person is jealous, it's because they are insecure. And it's negative. But our relationship with God is best related to two relationships that we have here on earth. As a parent... God the Father. God the Father loves you and cherishes you. He created you. He saw what He made and it was good. That's God the Father, the love of a parent. But He also wants to be so deeply connected to us, so connected to each person individually, that the only relationship that you can compare it to here on earth is marriage. The only person that knows me almost as intimately as God, almost, is my wife. After 14 years of marriage, she knows me better than my parents. She knows my wants and my desires, my insecurities. We share life together. Those two relationships combined best describe what God wants to have with you. And so if you look at it from that perspective and then you try to combine the thought that your child comes to you and says, 
I love another parent more than I love you. Not saying they love mom or they love dad more than they love you. They love somebody else's parent more than they love you. Combine that with your spouse coming and saying, I love somebody else more than I love you. What kind of righteous, justified, hurt, sorrow, jealousy, anger would all be in your heart? Can you combine that and think of that? Because when you put something before God, that's what happens to God's heart. Those two things at the same time. Nobody's ever experienced that except for God. When we put those things together and say, God the Father, I love another parent, another master more than I love You. And God, whom I'm connected to, who I am one with, no more. I'm in love with somebody else more than I'm in love with You. That's the jealousy God has. He's jealous for you. He loves you like a hurricane. And when you choose something before Him, it brings jealousy in Him. And that's true throughout Scripture. Every time that idolatry is mentioned, God's jealousy, God's anger, God's wrath is also mentioned. Now I'm not saying that if you have an idol to lay down this morning, that if you don't, that God's going to strike you down. or um, It's not the kind of gospel I'm trying to preach. But know the truth of what you're saying to God when you choose something over Him. You're saying, I love something. I want to be connected to something more than I want to be connected to you. That's harsh. Now I want to switch. I want to get away from saying we're going to slay idols I want to get away from the wrath of God. And I want to look at what what do we have going on in our lives that we need to identify as idolatry? What are you carrying that you need to see, that you need to recognize as idolatry? The first question I want you to ask yourself is, where is your mind? Let's read Colossians 3, 1-5 again. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. What do you spend the majority of your time thinking about? When you're alone at your desk, when you're driving down the road, when you're bebopping to that great mix on Pandora, whatever you have going on, what do you spend the most time thinking about? I asked Adam to put this collage together. And I often confess to the students what I spend the most time thinking about. One of my idols. It's my family. There's a picture of, of me and, and three beautiful girls. There's a lot of other choices up here. There's sports. There's movies. There's money. 
Um, I don't always think of J.J. Watt, but sometimes. Um, somebody mentioned to Pastor Brian when he gets back that there wasn't a single cowboy thing up there. That's by God's divine grace. I was waiting for somebody. Sports, your relationship with your spouse. What do you spend your time thinking about? Your job? Getting away? The vacation that you feel like you need? What is it? Where is your mind? Don't just let it pop in your head. Don't leave here without putting it down to identify it later on. There's a note sheet in, in your bulletin. Take it down. Write down. What do you spend the most time thinking about? Where is your mind? Is it on the things above like Colossians says? Keep your mind on the things above. Or is it on earthly desires? Even some of them can be good. My relationship with my family. Does God want me to be a godly husband? A godly father? Does God desire for me to provide and protect for my family? Amen. Yes, He does. But should I put those things before my relationship with God? See, we can make righteous things, things that we think God has promised us, an idol. Does God want to keep my family safe? Does God promise me safety? If you feel like God promises you safety, that God promises to keep your children safe, that that's a promise that God intends to keep and something for you to work towards, let me encourage you, stop reading Scripture right now. It's just going to discourage you. Go ask Abraham if God will ask you to put your child in harm's way. Go ask Jesse, the father of David, if God will ask your junior high student to go and slay a giant. To go out on the battlefield and face the enemy's fiercest competitor. Ask Job about keeping your family safe. Ask the disciples about being safe. It's not promised to us. Don't let that get you too down. There are a lot of great things that are promised to us. God promises to be there with us. He promises us to love us. He promises that if we go seek after glorifying Him and making that number one, that this will be an amazing life. It won't be an easy life. It may not be a safe life, but it will be an amazing life. God promises you that adventure. Don't let things that you believe to be righteous get in the way of the adventure that God intends to take you on and become your idol. I desire for some of those things. I wish for my girls to have all the neatest things, and I work towards that sometimes. There's not anything wrong with that. Um, it is my responsibility to keep my family safe. For something that we deal with just to get personal, um, I joke with Kelly all the time that God's going to call us one day to do ministry in Alaska. And she informs me that her love is strong enough for me that our marriage could withstand a long-distance relationship. <laughs> and that if God calls me to that, she does not want to be in the way of that. 
But in reality, I have fear. In reality, if God really called us to that, Kelly would submit and we would go. And in reality, I would be scared to death. What am I going to do? Who are we going to know? What is it going to do to my children's relationships with their friends? Are they going to make new friends? Are they going to be in a good school? Are we going to figure out how to educate them? Are we going to know how to make money and survive in Alaska? Will I get eaten by a grizzly bear? These are all things that I would be afraid of if God really called me to move to Alaska. In reality, it's selfish, right? I just don't want to sweat anymore. That's why I want God to send me to Alaska. I don't, I don't want... I, I sweat all the time in Houston. I don't, I don't want to be hot anymore. And Alaska seems like a great place for that. But if God called me to that, I would have great fear. Some of it justified. What Could I do that to my family? Could I put them in this difficult situation? Would I have the faith to get out and follow God's will for my life? And know that He'll provide for my children. That He'll raise them up in knowing who He is and watching us do what He's called us to do. That if I get eaten by a grizzly bear, it's to bring glory to Him and somehow there will be a great story of the missionary that went out and spread the Gospel and then God brought him home through the mouth of a grizzly bear. I don't know. I'm stretching there. But God's will. Do I have faith to follow God's will? Where is your mind? What are you stuck on? What righteous things have you put in the way of God's will for your life? What have we hidden behind in some of the truths of Scripture that that we misalign the priority? Write that down. Who do you serve is the next question. Hebrews 6, 10-12 For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. It's true throughout Scripture that our relationship to Christ calls us to action. Our faith is not based upon works. You cannot earn your relationship with Christ. It's grace. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that you can go earn it. But it is a call to action. Once you see Christ, He is supposed to be your Lord and Savior. And we all too often just get focused on a Savior. He is our Lord. He wants us to serve Him and those that He's put before us. A pastor is supposed to serve you. Pastor Brian has been called to serve your needs. And it's a difficult task. And after five years of doing it, he should most definitely go and take a four-week sabbatical. It's tiring. God has called you to serve others. He has called you to serve His glory. What's your relationship like with Christ? Are you always petitioning Him for safety? In the dynamic of your relationship with God, does He serve you? 
Or do you serve Him? I'm not saying that you shouldn't take your desires and your fears and the things that you want to God. Christ did. He said, take this cup from me. If God didn't want to hear those things, Christ wouldn't set an example of us needing to go before God. But if it defines your relationship, that you're only in relationship with God for what you can get out of it, not for how you can serve God. You can tell that I love my wife by the things that I do. If you have a conversation with me and we talk for longer than 10 minutes, I'm probably going to talk to you about Kelly. I'm probably going to talk to you about the girls. We're probably, we might get off on a little bit of golf or a little bit of football, but I'm going to share a funny story about what our youngest Casey said or did the other day. I'm going to share the pride that I have in, in Casey. I may share the fear that I have that one day Kelly will wake up and wonder, what in the world did I do? I could have done much better than this guy. I'll share how excited I am to be in relationship with him. You have a conversation with me long enough, you're going to hear that. If you have a conversation with me long enough, will you hear about how I'm serving the Lord? It's possible. It's not true enough. You won't hear about how much of a blessing it is to serve the students on Wednesday night. You won't hear about as much as you should. How amazing it is to trust in God. Those are truths. But if I'm honest, do I serve God enough or do I ask Him to serve me? Who do you serve? What are you working towards? What is the goal of your life? What do you spend time trying to achieve? Is it a promotion? Is it money? Is it winning your fantasy football league? Is it getting better at golf? Is it beating that time at that, that marathon or that 5K? Social media? Getting a bunch of likes? What do you spend your time, your time trying to achieve? What do you serve? Write it down. Pick it out. Have on that sheet of paper what you spend the most of the time thinking about. Have on that piece of paper what do you spend the most time working towards? Who do you serve? Now that we've possibly identified our idols, let's go back to the idea of slaying them. We're going to turn away from them. We're going to put them to death. We're going to die to the things of this earth. Hopefully between those two questions, maybe you've identified some of the things that you need to lay down. But let's go back to the idea of, of dying to them. Colossians 3.5 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. To die to idolatry, you must die to your selfish desires. Bring, bring the collage up one more time that, that Adam had, if we can bring that up one more time. I, I messed up their whole plan, so they got to go figure out how to bring that back up. Here we go. There's a halfway decent looking fella there flexing his muscles. Yeah, y'all toned down the laughter there. Um, 
I was in a 5K. And, and if, if you know me, um, until I did that, uh, if you saw me running, you should stop and pick me up because either somebody's chasing me or my house is on fire and I'm trying to get, whatever. I wasn't running to get exercise. I don't like to run. But I asked Adam to put that up there because I'm going to confess something to you. And I want us to look at all these things that we put before God in a truthful way. All the deadly sins, all the things that are listed in these Scriptures are based in selfishness. Even if I were to go and worship Buddha, it would be based in selfishness because I'm insecure and worried that I need an insurance policy and it becomes about me. Sexual immorality, being addicted to a drug or an action, if it's actually an addiction for you that is your idol, it's based in selfishness. My idol is right there. I can try to pretend that it's my family and that that's a righteous thing. But I, bring, I get great joy out of my family. And God intends that. But if I put it before God, it becomes an idol. If it becomes what I serve over God's will for my life, if it becomes what is most important to me outside of sharing the Gospel, it's become my idol. And the reason it's become my idol is because I'm selfish for that guy. I'm selfish towards what I like. Had I not ever met Christ, I would have had a desire to be a family man. That's what I like. I like hanging out with my kids. I think I'm better at it because I have a, a relationship with Christ. But I would have desired it either way. I would have desired to have a positive relationship with my wife. Those things bring me joy. It's what I wanted. I remember wanting it before I knew Jesus. And so I wrap up those things in a righteous connotation so that I don't feel condemned when I put them before the will of God and the things He has me to do. When I choose not to have faith. And the reality is my idol is that guy right there. And I'm putting him first before God. We live in the richest society that the history of the world has ever seen. To survive, you can get to a place where you don't even believe you need a God. You can feel like you can do it yourself. And whatever you're serving, if it's not God, it's out of selfish desire. That's the idol that the church in America today, bows down to, bows down to most of all. We even lie to ourselves. We say you got to take care of yourself first. And we'll use a neat analogy like when you're on an airplane and they say put the mask on yourself first and then help the person next to you. And it seems to make great sense to us. Well, let me let you know, God rarely makes great sense to us. He rarely says something that we go, oh wow, I get it now. He challenges us. He does things in a different way. Remember, he asked Abraham, go, go take your son and sacrifice him. 
He said, I'm going to slay that giant with a 13-year-old boy. He said, Jonah, you don't want to go preach? I'm going to swallow you with a whale. God doesn't do things that makes sense. You think you need to take care of yourself first? You need to get with Jesus first. Go serve the people He's called you to serve, and He'll take care of you. He'll provide for you. He'll drop manna from heaven on the journey that He's taken you on. And He'll sustain you. Don't, come, don't succumb to the selfishness. Don't fall into the lie. I'm, I'm preaching to myself. I wrap those things up into things that seem to make sense in the Bible. And it's just not the truth. Luke 9.23 And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow him. To die to idolatry, you must live in your faith in Christ. If I'm going to die to myself, I have to choose Christ. I have to go and say, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to pick up my cross. I'm going to die to my selfish desires daily. And I'm going to follow you. It means you have to go and do something. I don't want to be all gloom and and stomping on our toes. and I want to set everything in in the right tone. So when you you leave thinking about these things, I want you to, to take away this truth, okay? Um, we do discipleship communities here at, at Clearpoint. If you're not in one, let me encourage you to get into one. Um, I'm in one with, with two great guys here at the church. Um, and we go through a book by, by Greg Ogden. And in the very beginning, one of the things that he says, one of the things that he wants to teach you is that your relationship with God is a two-sided coin. That you are dust. That you are nothing. And dust you came from and dust you will return to. And on the other side of the coin, you are a child of God. You are an heir to the throne. All of creation was made for you. Those are two things you have to accept. Yes, I need to die to myself. Yes, I have sinful desires. Yes, I am unworthy. But by the grace of God, All of creation was made for me. Had I been the only one, Christ would have got up on the cross and died. Had it been me alone, He still would have set into motion my salvation. I am dust and nothing worthy of the grace that He's provided to me. But because of it, I am an heir to the throne of the one true God. And all of creation was made for me. You have to live in both of those truths. You have to carry that coin around in your mind. Identify your idols. Look at the things you spend time thinking about. Die to yourself, but don't lose heart. We serve a God who sent His one and only Son so that He could have a personal relationship with you. We serve a God who does amazing things. In a minute... We're going to play some music. Um, I asked the worship team not to put any lyrics up on the screen.
Um, we can go back to the to the basic slide. I want all of us to take time to focus. We've taken our five minutes. I'm sorry, we've taken longer than five minutes, but we've taken our time and we've stared at the things that are our idols. We've looked at what do we need to slay. And it may have been uncomfortable. It may be uncomfortable for you to still look at it and to deal with the truth. But know this. If you can lay those things down, if you can serve the one true God, if you can make His will in your life your priority, it's a train that He wants you to get on that leads to adventure. Remember I told you He promises you an amazing life. If you get on it, if you choose to ride that train, it may take some turns faster than you're willing to go. It may go to some places that you never thought possible. It may take you to a location in which you never wanted to be. But it will be amazing. And if you get on that train, if you get on that ride that God has asked you to take part in, this life will be amazing. And the one after it, I can't even begin to describe. But what do you have? Philip's going to come and he's going to play. We're not going to sing lyrics. There's not going to be anything on the screen. I want you to focus on what you have to lay down. And I'm going to be honest with you one last time. I've been dealing with this all week. I felt like this was what God called me to, to speak on. I probably put off until Monday or Tuesday really diving into what I should get up here and, and, and share and preach and Early on, God identified to me some things that I need to lay down. Early on, He identified to me some things that I need to put to rest. And, and I, I'm in relationship with a few people and had a few opportunities to confess those things to those people and to receive prayer, and I, I denied those opportunities. And it bothered me so much that I had a hard time sleeping last night. And as I was praying about how I was going to end this message, I knew I wanted to provide an opportunity for you. Take those things that are on your sheet. What did you write down? Where's your mind? What are you working towards? Is there something that you need to lay down? Is there an idol that you need to slay in your life? Is there something that you need to do before you commit to the adventure of a relationship with Christ? Is there something that you need to get rid of that prioritizes in your that takes priority in your life before you get back on the train, before you get back into what God has for you? I've got a couple things. I'm going to take this time and I'm, I'm going to lay them down. You do what you have to do. Whether it be in your seat, whether it be here, the prayer partners, if you'll go ahead and come on, on up, if there's you need to pray with someone, they're here to pray with you. Don't leave today without identifying it and laying it down. There's a great adventure out there for you. Can you get on the train? Can you experience the love like a hurricane beneath, bend beneath His will, His grace and His mercy? If you need to pray, come here and pray. If you need to kneel at your seat, kneel at your seat. But deal with it before you leave. Don't put it off.